Welcome to Valley Church. If we haven't met before, my name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. As many of you may know, today is the beginning of Holy Week. So in the traditional church calendar, this week is kind of the culmination of what Lent has been leading up to. So the goal of the church for many, many, many years has been to use kind of the last 40 days to prepare our hearts to properly celebrate what this week is and what it means, um, particularly with Good Friday and Easter. Speaking of Good Friday and Easter, we are having a Good Friday communion service uh, on Friday uh, in a few days. I don't know why I'm stuttering and stammering. It's on Friday in a few days. Good Friday service at 6 p.m. So normally we meet at 5 p.m., but it's at 6 p.m. And we're just going to do... Um, take communion together and just kind of reflect on the Lord's death and what that means. And we'll probably worship together. Um, So Friday, 6 p.m. And then our Easter service a week from today will be at our usual time at 5 p.m., but we'll end a little early and we'll have an Easter dinner together. It's gonna be super fun. So if you're planning on sticking around for dinner, we'd love to know. Um, We have an event on our kind of event part of our website, so you can go to valleysalem.churchcenter.com, look for signups or events, and then you'll see the Easter feast deal that you can sign up for. And then if you would like to help either bringing food or helping with um, setting up or cleaning up, please talk to Mark, and we, we need some more help, especially with people bringing food. Is that true? Yes. Okay. So please talk to Mark if you're willing to help with that. Um, today is Palm Sunday which is the day that we remember and celebrate Jesus' arrival into the city of Jerusalem and it's the beginning of the week leading up to his Last Supper, his betrayal and arrest, his death, which we celebrate Good Friday, and then Easter, where we celebrate his resurrection. The point of celebrating Palm Sunday is that we would welcome Jesus as the king, that we would welcome him into our hearts and into our lives as, as our king. So we're going to read um, Matthew's take on this entry, this arrival of Jesus into Jerusalem, the Palm Sunday passage. So you can make your way to Matthew chapter 21. Um, In our series in Matthew, we are are so close to chapter 21. We're only a few chapters away. Um, So if we just think back over the last few chapters that we've gone through in Matthew, one of the main themes Matthew is highlighting all these different responses, uh, the different types of responses that people have when confronted with Jesus and the kingdom. Um, So in chapter 13, Jesus launches into this series of parables, all essentially driving home the point that the kingdom of God is not what you think and not everyone is gonna understand who Jesus is and what he is about. And there's people that are frustrated by this. And then we get a story of Jesus is like his hometown friends. And so he goes to Nazareth and he's not believed or accepted by like some of his dearest friends and some of his family. And then we hear about Herod, King Herod, who thinks that Jesus is simply John the Baptist, who's kind of risen from the dead somehow, and he's back kind of doing his John the Baptist thing. And then Jesus feeds multiple times these crowds of thousands of people who are thinking this guy could be the one who can rescue us from Rome. And then in chapter 15, we get this picture of someone who responds with real, amazing, legitimate faith in Jesus, and it's not a religious person, it's a Canaanite woman who would have been seen as like this evil outsider to uh, Israel. And then we get this special moment not too long ago where Jesus asked his disciples, like, who do the people think that I am? Who are they saying that I am? And Jesus, or the disciples reply, well, some people think that you're like a prophet, some think that you're John the Baptist. And then Jesus says, well, who do you guys say that I am? And Peter confesses Jesus as the Messiah. 
And it's beautiful, but then right after that, uh, Peter rebukes Jesus at the thought of where Jesus says that he's gonna have to go and be handed over to the chief priests and be killed. So all of this to say, we've seen a huge mixed bag of responses to who Jesus is. We've said it probably like 100 times throughout our teaching in Matthew, but I'll say it again. Jesus has come to continue and to fulfill the story of Israel to restore and launch God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, and to deliver Israel from its enemies. Yes, to offer the hand of restoration and salvation to Israel, but not just to Israel, also to the whole world. The problem that we've kind of seen throughout Matthew is that this deliverance and the salvation uh, when it came in the person of Jesus didn't look like people thought that it would or like they wanted it to. So to many of the people that believed in Jesus, they thought he was going to come as this kind of military general who would lead some type of physical revolt against Rome to free them. And then to some of the religious leaders who didn't believe in Jesus, they couldn't handle him. He was far too complex and he kind of broke their categories of understanding. <laughs> he was absolutely obedient to God and to the Torah. He embodied what it meant to be faithful and obedient. Yet he broke some rules that the Pharisees thought were very, very important. He ate and drank with people that the Pharisees hated and he did things like healing people on the Sabbath. So basically, whatever the molds and the categories that people had in their minds of who the Messiah is, what he should be like and what it would look like for him to do his Messiah thing, Jesus broke them and he did not fit them on both sides. And so this passage that we're reading, this Palm Sunday passage, I think is another that is meant to help us kind of question and reflect on that idea of who is Jesus? Who is the Messiah? In this, in this passage, at the end of it, the crowds literally ask the question, who is this guy who's coming in to Jerusalem? And I think that should clue us into that's maybe a question that we should ask as well as we read it. So with that all in mind, let's go open up to Matthew chapter 21. I'm gonna read verses one through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you teach us something would you illuminate these words to um, do more than be uh, information for us or things that are interesting, but something that actually changes us and forms us into the image of Jesus? So would you help me 
to be clear as we talk about this passage and um, the significance of Palm Sunday. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Let's look at verse one. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. This is our setting. Jesus is approaching Jerusalem from the east and he arrives at this village called Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. So imagine if Salem was smaller than it is. Imagine you're on the west side of the west hills of West Salem. So you're way over there and you're coming up over the west hills and then you kind of look down and you see it slopes down and you see the Willamette River and then just past it you see downtown Salem and you see the Capitol building. So that is kind of a helpful analogy when Jesus comes up there, he comes down and he just sees this, there's this valley, this big sloping hill that they would kind of hike down. At the bottom is this Kidron Valley and then right up the hill from the valley is the temple and is the city of Jerusalem. So Jesus kind of has this really epic view of the city as he's coming down to enter into it and to do what he's about to do in Holy Week. Verses two and three, he said to the disciples, go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. So Jesus instructs his disciples to go get him a donkey to ride down the mountain. He says, if anyone gives you a hard time, just say the Lord needs them and give them a wink and they'll know what that means. That's the password. Verses four and five. This took place, what Matthew just told us, the disciple is going to get the donkey, bringing it to Jesus for him to ride it. This took place, says Matthew, to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, and then he quotes from the prophet, say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So this is what um, scholars call a quotation formula. So Matthew has done this over and over and over again throughout his book where he, Jesus says something or does something and Matthew kind of gives us, this, gives us this little aside and says he did this so to fulfill what the prophet said and, and whatever prophet he was quoting. Um, he quotes Zechariah chapter nine and I actually wanna go there and so if you're willing to kind of keep a finger in Matthew and then go back just a little bit um, to the left to find Zechariah. Um, when the New Testament authors quote the Old Testament, particularly Matthew, um, it's important to remember that they're not just yanking out like a single verse or two and trying to like uh, help us see how Jesus was fulfilling just that one particular part of it. They're not yanking it out of context. They're actually helping us to see how Jesus is fulfilling or completing whatever the prophet was talking about, maybe even in that whole section not necessarily just kind of the one verse that they're bringing up. So in this case, Matthew quotes a verse out of Zechariah talking about how a king would ride on a donkey, but I don't think Matthew's point is simply to say, hey, look, Jesus is riding a donkey. Zechariah said that would happen. That's cool, right? I think at least in this case, Matthew is trying to bring us back to the whole context of Zechariah chapter nine and kind of bring us into that theme. Um, in other words, Matthew is trying to help us uh, read and interpret and understand the Old Testament, not just kind of checking the Messiah on a donkey box <laughs> of prophecy. So let's look at Zechariah chapter nine. Uh, if your Bible has headings in it, just look at the headings. Mine say judgment on Israel's enemies, verses one through eight. Verses nine through 13, the coming of Zion's king. And then 14 through 17, the Lord will appear. So those are helpful kind of helping us see what is this chapter talking about. Um, verses one through eight kind of sets up the rest of the chapter. I'm not gonna read through the whole thing. 
But the Lord is listing all these other nations, enemy, enemy nations of Israel, and he's promising to free Israel from them, to deliver them. And he says in verse eight, Zechariah chapter nine, I will encamp at my temple to guard it against marauding forces. Never again will an oppressor overrun my people. For now I am keeping watch. So in that context is where we get what Matthew quotes in Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine. So let's read the next few verses. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. Those are just ways of saying people of Israel. God's people, rejoice. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. I will bend Judah as I bend my bow and I will fill it with Ephraim. I will rouse your sons, Zion, against your sons, Greece, and make you like a warrior's sword. So we have that one line that Matthew quoted about the king, gentle and lowly, riding in on a donkey, in this section of a comforting prophetic promise that um, Israel's king will come, that he will come in righteousness and in victory, but also lowly or humbly, riding on a donkey, as opposed to some kind of conquering king who would enter a city on a war horse. And this king, when he arrives, will take away the equipment that makes for wars. It says he will get rid of the chariots and war horses and bows and he will proclaim peace to the nations. He'll make a covenant with his people, free prisoners and restore them. And finally, verses 14 through 17. Then the Lord will appear over them. His arrow will, will flash like lightning. The sovereign Lord will sound the trumpet. He will march in the storms of the south and the Lord Almighty will shield them. They will destroy and overcome with sling stones. They will drink and roar as with wine. They will be full like a bowl used for sprinkling the corners of the altar. The Lord their God will save his people on that day as a shepherd saves his flock. They will sparkle in his land like jewels in a crown. How attractive and beautiful they will be. Grain will make the young men thrive and new wine the young women. So the prophecy switches from the coming king who's gonna deliver the people to the Lord Yahweh himself arriving, appearing like this flash of lightning with the sound of a battle trumpet and he will shield his people against these enemies and actually destroy their enemies. He says he will save his people on that day and then his people will sparkle like jewels in a crown and be beautiful, healthy, thriving people. So when Matthew and other New Testament authors quote the Old Testament, they're not ripping out one little single idea of something that is you know, literally fulfilled in the, the physical actions of Jesus necessarily. I think they are trying to bring us back to the story and the context of whatever Old Testament book that they are talking about. So the context of Israel's situation in Zechariah is similar to that of Israel at the time of Jesus when he was entering into Jerusalem. They're surrounded by foreign enemies. In Zechariah, it's Damascus and Tyre and Ashkelon and so on. But in Matthew's time, it's Rome. 
So verse eight of Zechariah nine is wild, where God promises to set up camp at the temple to arrive himself and be there. Jesus is currently riding right towards this temple. He promises to guard it against bad guys and promises that people won't be oppressed again. It's interesting, Jesus, when he, like every other gospel besides John, when Jesus arrives, the first place that he goes is to the temple. He arrives in the temple and he drives out the people that are uh, swindling God's people. So with Zechariah 9, specifically verse 9, with the whole chapter in mind of what Zechariah is trying to comfort God's people with, let's rethink about Matthew 21 with a little bit of fresh imagination. So when you hear your king comes to you gentle, riding on a donkey, that's a clue for us to let Zechar all of Zechariah 9 kind of color what we're thinking about and how we're thinking about um, what Jesus is doing in this passage in Matthew 21. So I think Matthew's audience doesn't just think, hey, cool, donkey prophecy fulfilled. They think, whoa, this is the king of Zechariah 9, the king who was riding on the donkey, who comes in victory and in righteousness to take away our enemy's weapons and to restore us and to save us. So this picture is huge of Jesus, not just because of what it means and what's gonna happen later, but because they see this guy coming as this Zechariah 9 type of king. Back to Matthew, verses six and seven. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. The disciples do as they are instructed and they get the donkey, they get the cloaks on it. Verse eight and nine, a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. So there's a huge crowd of people assembling and Jesus has quite the descent from Bethphage all the way down the Kidron Valley and up to the temple. So a lot of people are joining on this long journey. The crowds gather and then begin kind of in a show of a gesture of honor, um, laying these tree branches out on the road so not even his donkey has to walk on the dirt. John, tells, John is the one that tells us they were palm branches, hence Palm Sunday. Um, and they shout Hosanna, which means save or save us. And they call him son of David, which we've talked about before, but that is about as messianic of a title as you can get. They're quoting Psalm 118 when they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So basically, this picture that we have right here with Zechariah 9 kind of in the background in our mind, of Jesus riding a donkey, descending down the Mount of Olives into the Kidron Valley and then back up to the city of Jerusalem. All of these crowds are honoring him and laying down these palm branches for him to ride over. They're shouting, Hosanna. They're shouting, save us, son of David. They're crying out, Psalms of deliverance. This is why it's sometimes called the triumphal entry. I don't know if you've heard that. Sometimes the heading of different um, passages of scripture will call it that. This is an epic, epic scene especially given the allusion to Zechariah 9, the chapter about this king of Israel who's coming to deliver Israel from its enemies. So these crowds are, before their eyes, seeing what they have longed for, what their great-great-grandparents have longed for for generations, which is the Lord, the king returning to rescue them from their oppressors. And it really is a beautiful, beautiful image. Verses 10 and 11. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, 
Who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So these two verses, I I think, should give us a little bit of whiplash. So we're reading verses one through nine, talking about the allusions to Zechariah 9 and this amazing, cool image of the Zechariah 9 king riding in on a donkey and people shouting like, Hosanna to the son of David, you're the Messiah, you're coming to save us. And then you get this little snapshot of the crowds, like, who is this guy? And someone's like, he's just some prophet from Nazareth up in Galilee. This dramatic buildup of the Messiah arriving into his city to save people, but the response of the city as a whole is not what it should have been, not what we hoped it would be. They're not saying this is the prophet, the anointed servant of Yahweh, Messiah, who's here. They just say, yeah, it's that prophet guy from Nazareth that we've heard about. The Bible scholar Michael Wilkins says, some in the crowd call him a prophet. Others who have called out Hosanna seem to expect Jesus to bring liberation. But Jesus has undertaken a different kind of triumphal entry from what many among the crowd expected. Jesus will triumph over the enemy of sin, bringing salvation to his people through his righteous sacrifice on the cross that looms ahead. Many in the crowd can only think of physical and military liberation. They cry Hosanna now, but soon we'll see that Jesus is not bringing the freedom they desire and will ultimately cry out, crucify him. Although the crowd gives great acclaim, Jesus knows why they are really welcoming him. He knows their nationalistic ambitions and fickleness. Thus, Luke tells us that Jesus weeps over the city. It's actually really interesting to look um, side by side at all four of the Gospels when they tell this story. We kind of get an interesting composite image. So Mark just kind of shares the, the really kind of straightforward bullet points that Jesus arrived in the city from the Mount of Olives. Matthew takes us into the city and the kind of the response of the people talking about like, who is this guy? Um, and then Luke t- takes us to the Pharisees who are really disturbed by all the noise and the racket that's happening. These people that are praising him and they tell Jesus like, hey, you gotta quiet down your disciples. And Jesus says, if I told them to be quiet, the rocks themselves would cry out in worship. And then Luke takes us to the scene where Jesus is just weeping over his people's rejection of him and what that means for Jerusalem. John tells us that the crowds that were following Jesus down this mountain crying out Hosanna possibly had just uh, seen him or heard about him raising Lazarus from the dead. So they're kind of part of the, the miracles crowd who are looking for another miracle. And so if we paint a picture using all of these gospels, what we have is a lot of people interested in what Jesus was going to do and they're bringing a variety of hopes and dreams and expectations. What other miracles is he going to do? Is he gonna cause a riot with all of this commotion? Is he gonna overthrow the Roman government? Like, are we about to fight? Is this about to go down? Is he going to deliver us finally? But as we know, and as we are celebrating this week, Jesus did not enter Jerusalem on a war horse with guns blazing and an army behind him. He entered on a donkey with no weapons, and he actually let Satan, sin, and evil do its worst to him by killing him, but he was victorious over it. And now he offers peace to us, not by destroying our enemies, uh, our physical enemies, but he offers peace with God through the forgiveness of sin and the power over our true enemy through the Holy Spirit. He offers us the assurance of deliverance and resurrection like Jesus proves on Easter morning. 
And so my question for you today, if you're willing to reflect a little bit, will you on this Palm Sunday welcome the Messiah, Jesus, into your life and into your world? I think the temptation is to be like the crowds and to welcome him while in the back of your mind there's this expectation of a certain kind and a certain timeline of deliverance. They cried out Hosanna because they maybe thought their deliverance was right around the corner, that this was about to go down. And then they were let down when Jesus didn't deliver how they had hoped, and eventually some turned away from him. A lot did. And so I just want to invite you into um, a moment of reflection, and if you'd be willing kind of started to do this more to use your imagination with me and to kind of visualize some things. So imagine that you're a, you are a part of this crowd of people watching Jesus ride towards Jerusalem on a donkey with the soundtrack of the righteous rescuing king of Zechariah kind of gently playing in the back of your mind. Imagine yourself there and how you might feel, what you might be thinking. And now imagine, as silly or interesting as it might sound, imagine he's riding into downtown Salem or into Washington, D.C. As you think about all that's going on in your life, in, this, in our community, in our country, and in the world, imagine the one we believe to be our deliverer riding in. Jesus, we welcome you into our hearts, into this church, into this physical space, and into this family. And we identify with this crowd, and we say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We say, Hosanna. We cry out, save us, Jesus. But we also want to acknowledge that you have a way and a timing that is beyond our understanding. So as we acknowledge the hurt and the brokenness and the evil and the injustice in our individual lives and throughout our world, we say, come Lord Jesus and save us according to your will and your way and your timing. Our thoughts are not your thoughts. How we would do things isn't necessarily how you would do them. Our perception of time is not the same as yours. Your wisdom is beyond our wisdom. And so we, we do, we welcome you, Jesus. We praise you, we long for your second arrival to this earth to restore and fully establish your kingdom to rid the world of Satan, sin, and death. We trust you, our Messiah, Jesus. We trust your timing, we say, Hosanna. Come, Lord Jesus, and save us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.